to Maritime AgCast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits and poultry all featured. Additional information such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates and vaccination forms can be found on AtlanticStockyards.com. Today we will be joined by Melinda German and John Ross to discuss promotion and research agencies in Canada. John Ross has had a lifetime passion for livestock. He studied animal science at the University of Guelph and graduated in 1983. He enjoyed a successful career at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. While at the department, he worked through a series of livestock and red meat related positions, focusing largely on sectoral development issues. Since joining the Canadian Pork Council as Executive Director in 2016, his primary role ensures the view of Canadian pork producers are effectively represented on national issues such as foreign trade and animal health. He is a member of the Government Industry African Swine Fever Executive Management Board and has been a longtime advocate of implementing collaborative approaches to managing animal health challenges. In his spare time, John is also a member of the 4-H Canada Board of Directors. Uh, Melinda German has been working professionally in agriculture for over 20 years with her primary focus being on the beef industry. She started a career as provincial beef cow-calf specialist with the Manitoba Agriculture and moved through management roles, finishing her career with provincial government as director of the livestock branch. Melinda then spent two years as general manager of the Manitoba beef producers, working with producers through the challenges like tuberculosis, BSC, and regional flooding. Today, she is the general manager of the Canadian Beef Cattle Checkoff Agency. Melinda's current focus is to ensure the transparent utilization of producer checkoff and import levy dollars continue to build and strengthen the beef industry across Canada. So with me today, the man, the myth, the legend, John Ross, and uh, one of my favorite national general managers, uh, Melinda, thanks for being with me today. It's a pleasure to be with you, uh, Brad. Happy to be here, Brad. So Melinda, maybe we'll, we'll start with you. I think you've played in this ballpark a little longer than some of the rest of us. Why is it that PRA or promotion research agencies are so important to particular sectors in Canada? You know, great question. And the beef industry has been a PRA, a promotion research agency, for almost 20 years. And even well before that, the beef industry was voluntarily pooling money together and, and putting it towards national. And I think one of the biggest advantages of a PRA is the coming together of producers pooling resources to make strategic investments into market development, promotion, and research. And, you know, with anything, if we work together and collaborate, we're going to be able to go a lot further, a lot faster. So I think that's one of the real big advantages of the PRA. And as I said, the, the beef industry has been doing this for almost 20 years. And I think we have a lot of fantastic success stories that come out of the, the PRA since its establishment. So, John, the, the pork industry is a fairly new player to this PRA uh, game, even though they've been working at it for over a decade. The pork PRA just got launched earlier this spring. Uh, why is that something that uh, you folks and the industry as a whole took on as a project and, and got it up and running for the significance of the pork industry? 
Well, I think, Brad, that um, you know, builds a little bit on, on, on what Melinda's just uh, shared with us in terms of producers have had this long-standing investment in the development of their industry. And the establishment of a pork PRA gives it a, a bit of a national base that wasn't there before. And of course, it does open the door to uh, allowing importers to uh, those that import pork into Canada to participate in the development of the, uh, of the market as well. And I think it's that last thing that I would draw some attention to is that in addition to you know the work on demand and public trust and the, and the bits and pieces of the, all the projects we hope will, uh, will address, it does provide a forum to bring together the entire supply chain and, and have a discussion about you know, how to improve the, the markets here in Canada, how to improve the demand for protein, in our, in our case, uh, beef and, uh, and pork, and, and, and how we might do a better job of uh, positioning ourselves in that space. So I think one of the big things that we're looking for is, again, that opportunity to get a little bit tighter supply chain together and, uh, again, work together to figure out how to make things uh, better for all of the participants in the chain. So one of the things that you both brought up was the fact that it allows the industry or sectors to work together nationally. You know, I, I think a lot of us work together with the provincial groups and national groups, uh, but this is kind of a centralized point to do some of the strategic initiatives moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about specifically things or types of projects that uh, we can use PRA funds for as far as promotion research, um, as the name suggests? We have great diversity through the supply chain in terms of who sits on our board of directors, first of all. For the beef industry, we have a 16-member board of directors that is populated by beef producers from across Canada. So every province has representation, as well as it has key players in the industry. We have importers represented there. We have packers, processors in, uh, represented at our board. So it comes back to that broad-based knowledge that we have in terms of developing plans to make those investments. And when the money comes into us at the beef agency, we, we allocate those monies out based on the province's wishes, but they get invested into national research market development and promotion projects. And Every year, the folks that we ask or task with um, performing those activities for us have to tell us how they plan to spend some money. And this comes back to the diversity of our board. Canada Beef, for example, is the entity that is tasked with doing our market development and promotion. And they're an internal group to the agency. And we have board members that help them develop those business plans. And they're very diverse plans with a national focus to benefit all producers in Canada. And their projects and activities range from domestic activities that are about developing markets here, promoting beef and the consumption of beef here in Canada, but also doing that type of work in the foreign markets as well. And they've been doing some amazing programs. Uh, one of the things that Canada Beef also, uh, in, the, in the last little while, is developed a center of excellence, the Canadian Beef Center of Excellence. And that is a phenomenal venue for the ability to promote and to develop new Canadian product that can be distributed, uh, of course, in Canada and elsewhere. Canada Beef is, has done a great job with the import levy that John mentioned also. So we're able to collect a levy on beef and beef cattle imports that have come into Canada. Those monies get invested into generic beef promotion within Canada. And I direct um, your listeners to thinkbeef.ca for some exciting examples of, of how those investments are made. 
From a high-level national vantage point, Canada Beef develops programs that benefit all Canadian producers that have target endpoints here in Canada and overseas. We have other groups too that we contract. Uh, the Beef Cattle Research Council uh, does a phenomenal job also on our research, and they work with universities and researchers across Canada and governments to come up with strategic investments into research projects that are going to continue to advance the Canadian beef industry. And one of the really exciting things they've been doing recently is investing in research chairs. One of the things we've seen in Canadian agriculture is kind of a loss of that skill set at that researcher level as uh, fantastic researchers have retired over the years. And maybe there's been less uh, attention and focus on, on some ag programming at some of the universities. BCRC has been able to go in there and partner with universities and fund research chairs that target specific areas of importance to the beef industry today. So having the ability and the privilege to collect a national checkoff and be able to pool that money and also to leverage government money to do things like um, funding research chairs has uh, been a tremendous benefit to the beef industry. And I think Brad, if I jump in here, I mean, you know, Melinda's painted the future for the pork agency, and we're very much just just starting out and trying to figure out our, our way. In fact, we've, we've yet to even gather up a nickel or two to contribute to the cause. But the idea of having that national approach to take advantage of the national groups that we have in place today, Swine Innovation Pork would be the lead on, on the research side at the, in the pork industry. And then, of course, Canada Pork would have a lead on the on the domestic and export market development. Obviously, they have a big position in the export market uh, Given, uh, given Canada's focus, but also providing uh, some fairly exciting programming, I think, on the uh, on the domestic side as well. So we've we've all these pieces uh, that that we can take advantage of, all these skill sets that we can take advantage of. And the question is, you know, in a country as big as Canada, where we're trying to sell a, a, an extraordinary product to a, a wide, diverse range of Canadians that uh, that would use that for a whole bunch of different purposes in a bunch of different ways. How do you support that at the national level? Things that come to my mind is where we can provide some service, if you will, from the uh, pork agency might be around things like consumer research. Now that uh, you know each of our provinces might not have to take that on anymore, do it at the national level, support those provincial initiatives that are in play. In my view, just uh, you know, for my, my limited role of marketing in this world, the closer you get to your customer with that brand, the better it is. So how do we support that at the national level with the skills and the resources and with the advantage of, uh, of some, some dollars as well? John, Melinda's gave us a little bit of an overview of the structure of their PRA board. I'm just wondering if there's any similarities or differences in the way that the pork PRA board is structured. There are some, some similarities. Uh, we're both governed by the Farm Products uh, Agencies Act and under the act, it does actually establish a maximum number of, uh, of directors that you can have. In the context of the pork PRA, we have 12 directors, some referred to as members, and they represent the nine provincial pork organizations that we have here in Canada, so British Columbia through to uh, Nova Scotia PEI. They also have three positions that, that are added to that group, one reserved for the importers, the import community, recognizing the important role that they play. And then the pork agency has two members at large, and they can come from pretty much anywhere in the, in the pork supply chain. But uh, we've been fortunate enough in the construction of the first uh, uh, board of directors that we've had representation from both uh, food service and from retail. And, and from my perspective, that's uh, particularly important because it ties that entire supply chain together from the producer side, 
right on through to retail and, and food service. And, and again, coming back to that advantage of, of these agencies of bringing together that, that collaborative approach, here it is in a board of directors. You know, that's how the, the pork agency is, is set up. Uh, in terms of structures and such like, and how it, it's going to manage its day-to-day affairs, the agency itself is trying to take in full advantage of the existing groups that are out there. And I mentioned before, Swine Innovation Pork and Canada Pork. The agency itself is also going to contract with the Canadian Pork Council to handle its day-to-day administration, you know, the minutes and the arranging the meetings and such like. Uh, and again, an, an opportunity here to focus most of the resources on good solid projects and not on uh, building overhead. And the second thing, and I think it's pretty exciting, is that uh, and Melinda and I are just working through this right now. We haven't got all the all the I's dotted and T's crossed, but we're very much uh, hoping at the at the pork agency to take full advantage of, of Melinda's expertise and utilize the beef agency to collect the pork import levy. Uh, all kinds of advantages there, as you could as you could well imagine, from uh, just you know sharing the cost of infrastructure across a wider group, and then a, and then for the pork agency, the benefit of of the experience that the beef guys have gathered up all these years, of course, going to jump us way farther ahead in our uh, in our efforts to to launch the pork agency. So a couple of differences there, but you know fundamentally, it, it's pretty much the same. Definitely, I I can appreciate the eagerness and the ability of groups, especially national groups, to work together. You know, that's one of the whole reasons that our organization, the Agri-Quality Management Association, exists, uh, is to find those synergies so that we're not duplicating efforts uh, amongst groups that are are basically doing the same administrative tasks. One of the things I'd I'd like to talk a little bit more about before we get into kind of some real day-to-day stuff is how have the importers reacted over time on the import levy and you know obviously they get a, a little bit of a say in, in how those funds are spent but you know how how do they see as it benefiting them before we talk about how it benefits producers specifically yeah you know the the beef industry started to collect the import uh, levy we we officially had the power to collect it in 2013 um, and started active collecting in January of 2014. So we've been at it a while. At the very beginning, it was slow going because we were the very first commodity to be able to do this. And it took a lot of education and communication with the importers. And you can appreciate there's a significant number of companies that import into a country like Canada. I came in, you know, in 2016 and started to actively work with uh, Importer Exporter Canada and our board member that represents importers, exporters, as well as the importers themselves. And one of the real goals of my position when I came on board was to increase the transparency of what we do as a PRA. We take in a significant amount of revenue every year. And it was really important for us to communicate and build that relationship with all stakeholders so they had a better understanding of what those dollars were used for. And that just meant some good old fashioned relationship building and communication. And and we worked on that a, a lot early on. And now that we have that in place and we have open dialogue with Importers Exporters Canada, as well as individual importers, I would say it's very well received overall. They see benefit in terms of what we're trying to do. You know, there's a lot of discussion around when folks call and say, what's this money used for? And we talk about the generic investment. So once again, it's investment just in the promotion of beef and the consumption of beef to the consumer and the public. 
And the goal there is to keep beef top of mind and to have consumers and the public put it on their grocery list uh, once or twice a week. And we have seen benefit from that. And I think the importers have seen, uh, obviously, some benefit from that as well. But I think the, the real group that benefits from it is the Canadian beef producer. Once again, it's the ability to communicate to the public and to the consumer about beef and the nutritional value of beef and the role beef plays in the environment, et cetera. You know, there's a lot of different topics and avenues we could explore on that. And so it's helping us tell that story to the Canadian consumer and the public, which then in turn translates down to tangible benefits for the beef producers in Canada. So I think since um, inception of collecting the import levy and working with the importers more targetedly, we've seen uh, tremendous support actually in terms of what those monies are invested in. In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture and the Department of Environment are hosting a Sustainable Development Goals Act session on July 15th. Visit the Federation's website for more information. The Nova Scotia Federation of Agriculture is also hosting Open Farm Day Information Webinar on July 22nd. Please register for either of these virtual events through nsfa-fane.ca. The Nova Scotia cattle producers are holding two virtual preconditioning services workshops for producers to learn more about this on-farm project. Please register for either the August 3rd or August 10th option at nscattle.ca. There will be feeder sales on July 15th and August 19th at Atlantic Stockyards. You can visit their website, atlanticstockyards.com, for a full schedule and booking information. There are now many Nova Scotia programs open for the 2021-2022 program year. A full list, as well as applications and guidelines, can be found by visiting novascotia.ca forward slash program. And I think, you know, Brad, if you turn to the pork side and look at that, uh, obviously one of the things that, that we're going to benefit from in terms of building that relationship with importers is all of the hard work that's been done by the beef guys to kind of smooth the road out a little bit and clear out some of the big stones and, and, and maybe get the first uh, coat or two of asphalt down. The beef guys have established these things as a viable proposition. They can do some really cool things. They can generate some, some really remarkable results. So we have that to point at. The other advantage that we have, of course, is that the import community, largely there's a fair overlap between those that import beef and pork. Often these firms are involved in, in imports of all kinds of proteins. And so that they have a familiarity with the beef side, they will automatically have a bit of a base to build from on the pork side as well. I don't think that means the job's done, though. Linda mentioned the importance of these these relationships, uh, almost one on one, between the the uh, folks that are receiving the uh, the import levy and uh, and those that collect it up. And I think it'll be important for the pork sector and and the members of the uh, of the pork agency to reach out and to connect directly with those uh, those importers themselves. And then ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to be a bit of a show me. You know, I can tell you a big, wonderful story about all the wonderful things that are going to happen and, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you have to put some good projects on the road and you have to demonstrate some good results from some good projects. So confident that we're going to do it in the pork side, but you can't do it without doing them. That's going to take a bit of time and you know, I can't make that go any faster. I do know that the base is there for us to build on and it, it's only for us to uh, take advantage of that and, and drive forward. So one of the things that you both kind of mentioned, I'm going to stick to the, the import levy here a little bit, and, and what kind of money that raises or can be collected to help promote and do generic research. I know, the, Melinda, the beef one's a little bit more established. 
Uh, but what are you talking about as far as dollars uh, to the agency uh, to be able to work with their service providers? Yeah, so once again, we started collecting the import levy in 2014. And as I mentioned, it took a little bit of time in terms of communicating what it was because we were the first ones out of the gate and having importers fully comply with it. So it's built up over the last few years. Consistently now in the last three years, we've been collecting $1 to $1.2 million on the import levy. That's up in the last three years as well, just, just managing the back end of things in terms of operations. You know, so coming back to what we do day to day, managing the import levy is also managing um, collections and payment on those invoices. And so we've taken a real active role, ensuring that it's a fair and level playing field for everyone also, so that if Joe is paying it for company A, company B is paying it also. Our revenue now, the last three years, as I said, has been pretty consistent at $1 to $1.2 million. The majority of that is invested into our generic beef programming. We contract Canada Beef to, to deliver on that programming for us. And we do take a small percentage off of the import levy for agency operations as well. And Brad, we're we're a ways from that is again just getting started at the checkoff. I, I think ultimately the today, if we if we look, you know, we just do the math and what we expect are the levy rates to the, the level of imported uh, pork that comes into this country from uh, largely from the United States, but also from Europe. We think we might collect the better part of maybe a million and a half on an annual basis once we get rolling. At Melinda's point, this doesn't happen overnight. But uh, I think once we get going, that's the kind of numbers we'd be expected to, to see to become available to further develop the market here in Canada. Where we're going to spend that money, that's, that's going to be an interesting discussion over the next probably six months uh, with the members and what sorts of expectations they have and on, on how best to uh, to allocate it all of that to uh, you know it's going to evolve in, over over the next little while and looking forward to that discussion yeah so let's talk a little bit about the domestic levy and how it's collected and used um, obviously I think the structures are a little bit different uh, in the beef PRA uh, and the pork PRA so maybe Melinda will get you to start by describing what the interprovincial checkoff looks like in Canada for beef when we collect the national checkoff, we work with all of our provinces because each province collects a provincial checkoff. And so that constitutes um, marketings and tradings that are happening within a province. So for example, in Nova Scotia, every time cattle are bought and sold within Nova Scotia, those are what we refer to as intra-provincial marketings. And it's it falls under the provincial checkoff. When cattle trade between provinces, that's the interprovincial checkoff. And that falls under our regulations. And so as John mentioned earlier on, we operate under the Farm Products Agencies Act. We report into Farm Products Council of Canada. And under our regulatory framework, we have the authority to collect the checkoff. That's the federal levy or the national checkoff when cattle trade between provinces. So we collect that money, but we have these reciprocal agreements with every province. And what that's, those agreements say is for all of the federal levy or the national checkoff that we collect, we are willing to share a portion of that with every province where those cattle originated. So if Nova Scotia sells cattle into Ontario, we get the checkoff dollars on those cattle and we send money back to Nova Scotia to be able to make investments into their programming. And the reciprocal agreements also state that when Nova Scotia collects their provincial checkoff on cattle sold just within the province, 
they're going to share a portion of that into national for that strategic pooling investment under our national beef strategy. We work very closely with the Provincial Cattle Association across Canada to manage that collection and remittance. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of work both provincially and, and nationally on that as bookkeepers, accountants, and staff such as myself oversee that as money comes in, portions are hived off and and sent various places. So that's a a lot of day-to-day work, but also just managing those provincial agreements so that we're meeting our obligations to the provinces and, and of course, to the producers of Canada. One of the big thing when it comes to the domestic levy and the national checkoff is we actually moved to increase our checkoff for the first time in, you know, 16, 17 years. And we went from $1 to $2.50 on the national side back in 2017, 18. That was really important because the industry as a whole developed a national beef strategy where all the provinces got together, all the national groups and said, hey, let's figure out a plan together to move the industry forward faster. And once we had the plan together, we said, okay, now to fully be able to implement that plan, we actually need an increase to the national checkoff. And one of the big things that came out of that as we worked with producers, auction marts, provinces on that increase was if we're going to collect a higher checkoff nationally and make those investments, we once again had to make sure we had a level playing field so that if Joe down the road was collecting it, so was auction mart or dealer B you know, uh, in another province or in the northern part of a a province was collecting the same amount. So the agency developed a compliance program to communicate the value of checkoff, to communicate the process of checkoff, and to be able to uh, ensure that everyone was paying the same amount. Yeah, so a little bit different, uh, Brad, in the in the pork industry, uh, in, in terms of the collections of levies and the interaction between the national agency and the provincial pork organizations. So we've had a long-standing uh, ability in Canada at the provincial level to gather up a checkoff on the sale of largely market hogs, and that included not only those intra-provincial sales but also inter-provincial sales as well. So uh, use some existing authorities that existed within the government of Canada to enable the collection at the provincial level of an interprovincial sale. That process is, is, is up and running and has worked well for, for many, many years. The issue in collecting the import levy is to ensure an alignment between those two. The principal driver that we worry about is, is a, something under the WTO that's called national treatment. And the idea at the World Trade Organization is that you cannot treat your imports differently than your domestic supply. So to have a, uh, an artificially low checkoff, for example, on, on your domestic supply and an extraordinarily high one in imports uh, is not acceptable at the WTO. And so what we have to ensure is that the imports of pork coming into Canada are treated, well, exactly the same or no, no worse than the, the best situation or the lowest rate, if you will, in Canada, the lowest levy in Canada as it applies to a market hog. So there is a critical component of the national agency to demonstrate, in fact, that at the provincial level, the levy is being collected and at the national levy, the the levy is being collected and that the two of them are aligned and one is not way out of line versus the other. It's a little bit of a difference between the way the, uh, uh, the agencies work together, but the necessity of them working together is absolutely critical. In the context of pork, because the national agency just deals with the import levy, There's none of this uh, sort of sharing of revenues between provinces and such like. The national agency 
will decide on how the import levy will be allocated and it'll move on from there. But as I said, it does depend on this close collaboration, cooperation between the, the national agency and the provincial pork organizations to ensure that we meet our obligations under the under the World Trade Organization. You know, Canada's uh, exporting 70 some percent of what it produces on the pork side. We cannot afford to be sideways with our international trade obligations. Yeah, good point there, John. And I think that's one of the things, you know, we particularly in the cattle industry of the last decade, at least that I've been around, um, have struggled with. And that's making sure that everybody's treated fairly and, and the same way. And uh, I think, Melinda, that leads me into my next train of thought or conversation here. Maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, how we actually collect the domestic levy and the import levy. Um, I know just from dealing with provincial regulations, uh, it's great to say that there's a levy or a checkoff, but the administrative part of collecting it uh, and ensure that it's being collected correctly can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. So how are you folks dealing with that? Yeah, you know, great question. And it can be a bit of a challenge because we have different levy rates, domestic checkoff rates uh, all across Canada. And so we work really closely with their provincial cattle associations to manage that, to monitor, to ensure that collection and remittances are happening when they're supposed to. So every time cattle are marketed in Canada, checkoff is applied. And when animals are bought and sold, whether it's private treaty, at an auction mark, dealers coming and purchasing cattle on farm, checkoff is to be deducted. And those monies then are to be sent into the Provincial Cattle Association. And then those provincial associations will send into the agency the portion that's the national checkoff. And so it really requires close collaboration with each provincial cattle association to make sure that the rates are correct. If the rates are not correct, we will work through the provincial cattle associations, sending out communications and notices to auction marts, to dealers, to producers, et cetera, about what the right rate should be. It also does come to our attention that there are times when someone is not collecting the checkoff, even though it is legally required. And when that happens, we, we have the ability under our act that we're governed by the federal government under to appoint inspectors on checkoff. And so we do have three inspectors actually appointed to be able to go in, work with our provincial cattle associations, and inspect uh, records and books to ensure that checkoff has been properly collected and remitted. We're active now with that. Uh, despite COVID, we've been doing some desk audits. Once COVID you know, resolves and we're able to get back to whatever the new normal looks like, we will be going back out into the field and doing those active inspections. And a big part of that is just education. You know, for the most part, we find people aren't trying to circ circumvent the collection of, of the checkoff and the remittance of it. It's sometimes a lack of understanding. So a really big part of what we do is going in there and communicating the right process and the value of that. Now, also on the, on the flip side, we also have the ability to go in and audit a provincial cattle association. 
And I mentioned reciprocal agreements that we have with each province. Uh, we can go in and inspect uh, Provincial Cattle Association's books. Once again, it's not because someone's not doing it intentionally wrong. It's sometimes just a lack of understanding of the proper process. And so we will come in and help educate, particularly when there's new staff, that proper collection and remittance process. So, you know, it's like anything, as I said, it relies on good relationships and collaboration and open and transparent communication. Go ahead, John, if you have any comments around collection. I guess a couple of observations. One, uh, Brad. One, uh, just to start with, just reflecting the the nature of the supply chain and the uh, marketing of live hogs. In many respects, is a lot simpler than what we see in the in the cattle side. You know, biosecurity, intensiveness of the business, uh, the integrated nature of the business, the fact that we largely are collecting checkoff on on the sale of market hogs at to a provincial plant directly makes it a lot lot simpler, a lot easier to administer, to enforce all those all those sorts of things. The import levy and the collection of the import levy, one of the reasons that, you know, we recognize the complexity of the task, and that was one of the reasons we reached out to uh, the Beef Checkoff Agency in hopes that they would help us out and uh, we take advantage of their expertise and their experience in, in collecting the, the import levy. I think at the end of the day, uh, Melinda's probably, and, and maybe you, Brad, at their initial conversation sort of hit on the, the two big parts of enforcement. One is... Um, you really do need to have those relationships. And, and secondly, you really do need to be able to demonstrate value for, for what you've done. If you can get those two things done, then I think you're down into just dealing with uh, the occasional uh, individual or firm that perhaps what, for whatever reason misunderstood the, uh, the directions, misunderstood the rules, misunderstood how, how things worked. And it's, it's not folks that are actively trying to avoid it. It's just maybe some folks that uh, for whatever reason kind of missed uh, what, their, uh, what their duties and obligations were. But again, if you've got that solid base built on, on good relationships with the, in our case, with the import community and, and demonstrating value for what you've done, then I think that'll go a long way down the road towards uh, helping out on the collection side. Here's the market report for the weekend at July 2nd, 2021, brought to you by Atlantic Stockyards Limited, which has been Atlantic Canada's primary auction market for more than 60 years. In the local hog market, base price in Nova Scotia was $2.73 per kilogram, down 6.3 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was down 6.2 cents from last week to $2.64 per kilogram. And in Quebec, base price was $2.67 per kilogram, down 4.4 cents from last week. Fed cattle price Atlantic beef products was $2.63 on the rail, flat from the previous week. In Ontario, live steer sold for $1.57, moving down one cent from last week. And in Quebec, rail price was flat at $2.66. Call cattle Atlantic Stockyards sold for 90 cents, an upward change of five cents from last week, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.65, down three cents from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged 88 cents, up three cents from the prior week, and were flat in Quebec at 87 cents. Good Bob calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $177, up $18, while calves in Ontario were up one cent to a price of $1.54 per pound. Calves in Quebec were $1.52, a drop of $0.16 cents per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland is at $14.60 per kilogram, and mutton sits at $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64-pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $2.74 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from $2.35 to $3. In Ontario, 50 to 64-pound lambs average $3.23 per pound at 58 pounds ranging from 265 to 385. 
For 65 to 79 pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they average $2.76 per pound at 71 pounds, ranging from 250 to 290. In Ontario, 65 to 79 pound lambs average 306 per pound at 73 pounds, ranging from 265 to 347 and a half. Use at Atlantic Stockyards range from $115 to $220, averaging $169. And in Ontario, use average $1.85 at 148 pounds, ranging from $0.97 cents to $2.67.5. Make sure you check the association websites for additional pricing information. So let's keep talking about value here for a minute. One of the things we hear, particularly at the provincial level when it comes to checkoffs and levies, is what do I get or what value do I see as an individual producer? You know, I think those things are, are pretty easy to explain at a provincial level. How do we go about that communication from things that are happening nationally and showing that there is value at the barn gate for our local producers? We actually have been conducting every five years a return on investment study. And we started doing this back in 2010. And we're actually in the process now of conducting our fourth ROI study that we'll be releasing next year in 2022. And it answers that question. You know, that's always been the burning question. What's the benefit back to me? What am I getting back in my genes in terms of this investment into national programming? And our ROI study helps to answer that. And so we contract researchers and academic to conduct this assessment for us. Back in 2010, we had a return on investment for a $1 checkoff at about 13 to 1. So for every $1 invested into national programming, we were seeing a $13 return. And that return came back in the form of the markets that were developed domestically and internationally in terms of the promotion work that was done to encourage and have more consumers put beef on their plate. Throughout the next few years, we added in the import levy as well in that assessment. Back in 2018, we finally had enough data to look at the import levy and what value it was bringing as well. And so in 2018, on our last assessment, the checkoff ROI, I believe, came back at about 18 to 1. So we saw an increase in terms of that value back for a $1 investment. But when we added in the value of the import levy and what that brought us in terms of the promotion work of generic beef in Canada, that increased to 26 to 1. Those are great numbers. You know, those are numbers that we can point to to help us communicate to producers uh, and to stakeholders in the industry, importers included, the value of those investments nationally. Now, the interesting thing with that is how that analysis is done is even though a higher return on investment is great to see, and we all like to see a positive return on investment, it actually still tells us that we're underinvesting in those areas. That's one thing that we continue to promote that it's important for us to stay the course, to stay focused on our national strategy, to keep those commitments to our contracted partners like Canada Beef and the Beef Cattle Research Council, 
to develop programs that continue to invest in the Canadian industry and bring benefit back to it. And we're going to continue those studies. And I think it's always very important for us to have these benchmarks to A, show value back, but also B, show that it doesn't end here, that we need to have that continued investment into these programs to have that return back to producers. You posed an interesting question of how you demonstrate value. You know, typically at the, you know, and, and not only at the producer level, at the you know, retail level and all parts of the supply chain, you see the same question, right? Is where do we find this in the bottom line and how do we find it in the bottom line? So last year I got $10 for my pigs and this year I have 11. Is that the advantage of the uh, checkoff agency or is that some other factor? What's the attribution on all of this? I think Melinda, Melinda points out a good point that you do need a good solid analytical base to sit from and, and, and there are folks out there that can, uh, you know, undertake this, this, and it's econometric research. But the challenge is a very complicated model to explain to uh, a lot of folks. And, and I do think that the key, one of the, you know, probably one of the bigger keys, if you will, is, is perhaps maybe just a little bit more practical. Uh, I think there needs to be a good solid plan. And Melinda spoke to the national beef plan that, you know, four or five organizations that uh, have leadership roles in the beef industry have come together and created a national, a national plan. And, and I think you have to have real solutions that are being proposed, real projects, things that, that you know, folks can get their hands on and look at and, and understand without a big, long, complicated discussion about, yeah, okay, if I did this, it contributes to that. And if you, you know, if you could help move the bar on that space, then overall, this is a benefit to the industry. So a, a very, very complicated subject where you're trying to figure it back out on the price of an individual pig and, you know, the hog industry, of course, where we're fully exposed to all of the wonders and risks of a, of a global pork market and trying to tease out a million dollars in the multi-billion dollar sectors is a bit of an issue. But I think if you can come forward with that very, very coherent piece of work right at the beginning that says, listen, we've identified the key challenges and here are some key projects that address those challenges. I think you're half, maybe three quarters of the way home. I think you, you brought just that to, to Melinda's point with uh, with some good sound analysis, maybe every five years or so, I think is what the, what the folks have uh, put in place. Uh, again, a valuable piece of the puzzle. But, you know, if you just can't explain it in uh, on the elevator trip from the 11th floor down to the first floor, that uh, there was real projects against real problems and, uh, you know, the, the results were implementable on the at, at whatever level of the supply chain they were they were targeting then I think you're going to have trouble demonstrating value because it's not a simple thing where, you know, we do this and it shows up on the, on the nose of a pig as a, an extra five or $6. Yeah, John, I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I think that's one of the reasons I believe so firmly in PRAs is it's actually the industry that leads themselves into the future uh, and how they carve out those projects and how they choose to fund it. It's kind of like taking your destiny in your own hands. They're the ones on the ground. They know what the problems are um, and they can invest appropriately. You know, one of the things before we wrap up, uh, I'd like to talk about, obviously, the beef and the pork industries uh, have been leaders in the PRA. Um, there's a couple more in the pipeline. You know, if we have any listeners from other sectors out there, what's the one thing you would tell them to get started on developing their industry's PRA and what, what it can mean to them? Well, I, I think from the beef side, you know, we've been at this a, a long time and this whole system structure is led by producers. It's the producers that are saying, this is important to me. Um, they're speaking through their provincial associations. 
the messages coming up to us here in national. And it's just so important to have that consultation with your producers within your industry, to collaborate, to consult, to talk about what's important, to map out a bit of that roadmap of where do we want to be in 5, 10, 20, 25, 30 years? And then how are we going to get there? You know, I think we've shown through that collaboration and that kind of strategic thinking in the beef industry, we've really been able to advance the industry in terms of where we are when it comes to to market development, promotion, and research. It's bringing together those like-minded folks, but it's being able to communicate effectively and continuing to be transparent in those communications back to everyone else within your industry, to producers in the fields and in in the um, corrals, the value of what you're trying to do. This isn't an easy process, and I don't want to make that sound discouraging, but it's, it's a long haul. It takes a long time to get it done. It takes consulting with the right people. There's a handful of us now that have been at this and and not that we understand everything yet. I think John and I still have probably some more lessons to learn down the road, but we have experience uh, that can be shared with folks. And one of the biggest things that we work on because what we do is under federal regulation and there's a lot of contracts and there's a lot of moving parts. It's having good solid legal counsel as well. You know, it just takes a long time to set this up. And I think if it comes down to what would be my main three points of advice, connect and communicate regularly with your membership, with your producers and your commodity group. Seek out those that have experience to help you minimize some of the pitfalls and and learn from all those lessons learned and have really good support in terms of legal support because it does take a lot of legal type investment and work to be able to set this up and and be able to see it over the finish line. I guess if I can maybe add a couple of things in that space. One, if you're moving forward with these things. I think, you know, and I speak for the beef guys a little bit, and and certainly on the pork side, we were blessed to have very strong provincial organizations. You really do need that foundation to work from, from a whole bunch of reasons, uh, just advice, guidance, money that can help uh, help move all these files forward. But, uh, you know, you need to start there. You need really good, sound, solid, I think, provincial base. I I think your provincial members need to have a national view. They have to have some thought that working together at the national level actually matters. And those two things, I think, are, are particularly important. And then last but not least, a little bit to Melinda's point, you need some patience. Uh, these things don't get created in a weekend. Uh, they require a lot of time and effort. Uh, they do require resources. The Import Council had the wherewithal to pull this off, but uh, uh, it is not because we, we didn't have the resources, it's because we actually had them. To, we could do this. But again, in, in my mind, fundamentally, you really do need to have a good, strong provincial base to work from. And that provincial base does need to have a good understanding of the importance of working together at the national level. Those are, I think, by mind, are the the keys. Yeah, both really good points. And and then they lead me to my final question, I think, for you folks is how important it is to work together, either at the provincial federal level or federal groups. You know, you folks, I'm sure, even long before you were talking about collection of import levy, uh, we're using each other as a sounding board as John, King, you and Gary uh, and crew were working to set up the pork PRA. You know, there, there's people out there uh, and now two organizations that have reached at least the first finish line in the first set of marathons. And working together, I think, is very important for us all. 
You know, I'm a big believer in working together and you never get anywhere worthwhile being if you do it on your own. You might get there, but you might not be able to stay there. But I think with good, solid collaboration with all the players, you, you can be successful. And and absolutely to, to John's points, you know, the, the provincial associations for the beef industry are key. Our, our national groups, our national checkoff, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for those solid relationships with the provinces supporting and working with us. So working together nationally, provincially within the beef industry is key. John mentioned, and I've mentioned our, our national beef strategy. When we developed that back 2014-15, that was absolutely key to the future of our industry in terms of finding our problem areas and being able to find solutions for it that meant something to producers. So that collaboration is very important. And I think, too, it's that collaboration between our commodities. Beef working with pork. This is the future. Once again, we will all get further together than we will on our own. And the nature of the ag industry is changing. And I think this type of work and this type of collaboration uh, is really going to be key for us all to be successful in the future. Melinda summed this up uh, particularly well, Brad, that we don't work together, we're lost. I mean, we compete day to day in the, the retail case, but that's about the only spot. And, and we can see that, you know, if we don't do this, we're, you know, my own mind, I think we're just going to bound to fail. So for all of those reasons, Lynn, and I, you know, I wouldn't disagree with any of them. And simply, you know, in, in some respects, from just a straight up practical standpoint, from the pork agency's perspective, uh, I don't know what a tripled or maybe, uh, maybe a factor of four uh, increase in my cost to establish uh, the pork agency if we didn't have the benefit of, of the cooperation that we have from the beef side. Uh, so just, you know, for all of those reasons around success, and some of them are a little bit, uh, you know, we say they're fuzzy or whatever, but, uh, you know, from a hard practical standpoint, it saved a lot of money. So all of those reasons to collaborate, it's hard to find an argument against it, quite frankly. Excellent. Well, with that, folks, um, I've taken up enough of your time today. Definitely want to thank both of you very much for joining us to give the industry a little bit better look at what the PRAs look like and how they actually operate. Always happy to have you folks back. If there's anything else we can uh, figure out, we can all talk about together. Thanks very much, Brad. It was a pleasure being here. No, indeed. Thanks very much, Brad. And I do look forward to the opportunity to visit again. Don't want to miss any future episodes? Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime AgCast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri-Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.